0: Old documents are difficult to understand. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of hard work. For example, there's an old document that today and tomorrow we think about, we remember. It's called the Declaration of Independence. And it's an old document, and that document is, on some levels, difficult to understand. Now, why do I say it's difficult to understand? It seems like it'd be easy to understand. It seems like it's difficult to understand because people have different understandings of what that old document means. Old documents are difficult to understand. The Declaration of Independence is one such document. Another document is the Constitution. The Constitution is a difficult document to understand. Now, why do I say that? Because... There's all sorts of arguments as to what it means, right? I mean, that's why we have courts. And have you noticed a trend? It seems it's been a trend throughout my lifetime that there are now all sorts of lawsuits about whether something is constitutional or not, right? What does that mean? What does it mean for something to be constitutional, Old documents are difficult to understand. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are two such old documents, and they were written in an America that was vastly different than our America. July 4th, 1776, we didn't have an American flag yet, because we didn't have, technically, an America, <laughs> right? Right? We didn't have a country per se. We were in the process of beginning the nation through revolution, through declaration. And the future of the nation was tenuous, to say the least, on July 4th, 1776. There would be many lives given in the process of separating ourselves from British rule. And then... 8, 1787 quite a few years later uh, they write the constitution and the future of the nation is still very much in question it's being made up as they go old documents are difficult to understand I had this interchange with my sister on Facebook, and I, I want to read to you a little bit of this because I was answering a question of hers that we are going to wrestle with a little bit today. And I used the Constitution as an example for her because she asked a question that lots of Christians ask. And this passage in 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians, that we're going to look at, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, we're going to look at this passage, and there's all sorts of different interpretations on this passage. It, this passage has been abused throughout church history. It's been really abused, even today, by certain segments of evangelical Christianity. And I wanted to start out by saying old documents are difficult to understand. And I want to read to you my comment to my sister interpretation of old documents is difficult for a variety of reasons take the u.s constitution it was written only a few hundred years ago but the cultural technological economic societal etc changes since it was written are unprecedented in human history and there was no way the framers of the constitution could anticipate any of the changes you think that's fair to say some argue for an originalist interpretation. And others argue for a non-originalist interpretation. Now, before I get into this, I'm going to be an equal opportunity offender as I make this argument. Okay? So just save your comments. You'll be okay. I'm sure there are other approaches as well. And there are. There's a lot of approaches to how to interpret and understand the constitution. These theories aren't always neatly held along party lines. So you might think, well, Republicans are originalists and Democrats are non-originalists and that's just not true. These aren't held along party lines. For instance, listen to this an example. As an example, when guns are discussed, those arguing for gun control primarily from the political left will appeal to an originalist understanding of the constitution saying the framers only had muskets, and they could not possibly imagine anyone owning a rifle or handgun that was a semi-automatic with 30 or more rounds in a magazine. Do you see what's going on here? Additionally, those arguing for the constitutionality of same-sex marriage, primarily from the political left, will argue from a non-originalist interpretation of the Constitution stating that the framers were products of their historical context and lacked the more enlightened view that we moderns have concerning homosexuality. Now, then I put a parenthetical comment. I'm not arguing for one or the other ways of interpreting the Constitution or for one particular understanding of gun control and same-sex marriage. These are just examples of how intelligent Well-educated people can come to very different conclusions referencing the same document. We run into parenthetical comment, okay? We run into the same types of difficulties with understanding the scriptures. This was her question. This was her question. If Christianity is true... If the Bible is God's word, then how come there's so many different interpretations? How come there's so many different understandings? Why do some Christians think homosexuality is okay and others think it's not okay? How come some think that abortion is okay and others think it's not okay? How come some think that Jesus was a nice guy and others think he was the son of God? And they all, all are Christians. Air quotes, emphasized. Her question We run into the same types of difficulties with understanding the cultures, but they are far more pronounced than the Constitution. Why? Due to many factors like language, it was written in a different language, actually three different languages. The Old Testament was primarily written in ancient Hebrew, not modern Hebrew. So if you've studied modern Hebrew, good luck reading the Old Testament. Aramaic, an ancient koine, not even classical Greek. I mean, this is like common people's street Greek. In fact, there's even different levels of how good the Greek is in the biblical text. Culture, culture in the Old Testament was really different. For instance, just for a, a fun experiment, some of you can do this instead of listening to the sermon the rest of the time. How Christian was David? How Christian was David? King David. Would you vote for him knowing stuff about his personal life? How Christian was David? How, how good of a, a nice guy was David? Now, don't answer that question too quick because he's the guy who penned, May the babies of my enemies' heads be dashed on the rocks. He's a little upset that day. He had 48 wives. Not a wise choice, by the way. It's hard enough having one, right, fellas? I I see that. Um, He didn't address sexual abuse that happened in his own home. His daughter was raped by one of her stepbrothers. And he did nothing about it. We think of the heroic David, but we don't think of the tragic figure David. How Christian was David? Would you call him as your pastor and he and his 48 wives? How Christian was David? Now, culture was different back then, wasn't it? Kings had forty-eight wives. No big deal. Didn't make it into the tabloids. People weren't going. Oh, David married another woman. Latest on TMZ tonight. Footage. You know, it wasn't a big deal. It's like yeah, kings have lots of wives. I don't know why they just have lots of wives. Culture was different. He wore funny outfits. I mean, from our point of view, like a dress. We'd think he. He killed people in hand-to-hand combat regularly. In fact, the one time he didn't go to war was when he got in lots of trouble with Bathsheba. And he should have been out killing people. That's what the text tells you. In the time of year when kings go to war, David stuck back at home. That's how the story begins. Culture's changed a lot. Historical context... What was going on historically when these documents were written? Boy, how on earth would you answer that question? How would you put together what was going on historically when Abraham was on the earth? How would you put together historically what was going on when God created the world? How would you put together historically what was going on when these documents were written? It's a difficult question to wrestle with, and you have to study a lot of things. And then literary context. There's different types of literature in the Bible. There's poems, so like when you go to the Psalms and you read it, and it feels like maybe it should rhyme, but it doesn't, and that confuses you, but it's like... It's written in blocks and stuff, and you're like, I think this is poetry I'm reading. And then you go to the Song of Psalms, and it feels like a, a love story, and it's poetry. And then you go to the Gospels, and it's story, and it's like, cool, it's picking up. And then for those of you who are following along with the Bible readings on the back uh, of your bulletin, I have to apologize to you because this next week is tough sledding because you're in 1 Chronicles chapters 1 through 10, and it is a long genealogy. All 10 Chapters, please thank God you get to read the book of Mark as well. But man, reading first Chronicles, the first 10 chapters just smack me upside the head. Literary context why do they care? What's going on? Why is all this here? And then you read it and you're like, you know, maybe you're like one of those Christians who prays before they read their Bible. And you say, Lord, speak to me through your words today. Amen. And then you sit and you read First Chronicles chapter one and two and you're like, "Okay, guess I'll just go to work. (laughs) I got nothing. I mean, there's parts of the Bible that are really, really difficult to understand. Back to my little comment to my sister. And then there are many different theories regarding the interpretation of Scripture. There are different theories. Some believe that we must seek to interpret Scripture in light of the historical and literary context it was written in and seek to understand the author's original intent. That's the camp I'm in. Obviously, others have different approaches to interpreting the Bible. End of my comment. Old documents are difficult to understand in first Chronic First Corinthians, thank God we're in First Corinthians, not first Chronicles. We did that last summer, remember? No. Okay. First Corinthians chapter two. By the way, I did all of those I think I did chapters one through eight or one through ten as one sermon. <laughs> so if you need help, go back and listen to that. First Corinthians chapter two, verse six. It's an old document. It was written to people who lived in the city of Corinth. Corinth. Where's Corinth? Anybody been to Corinth? Okay, so notice the gap that's forming already between you and Corinth. You haven't been there? Have you seen pictures of Corinth? Anybody? Did you know that it's a very narrow part of the Greek uh, peninsula? And they have since this letter was written created a canal. And it's a place of great uh, commerce. And back in Paul's day, ships would stop on the eastern side and they would unload their cargo and carry it across the land and reload another ship on the other side because it was quicker to carry it across the land and load another ship than it was to sail all the way around the Greek isles and peninsula. It was faster. To carry it by hand. (laughs) And because of this, there was a lot of commerce there because some folks said, hey... If we set up a city here, then we won't have to carry it to the boat. We could just stop and sell it here and then let other people carry it to wherever. Makes sense, right? So then you have trade and commerce. There's all sorts of things going on in Corinth. Chapter 2, verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming To nothing. Okay, right away, you probably think you know what he just said. But do you know what he just said? You see, it's very interesting. As we read the scriptures, as we read anything, we just assume we know what we just read. Sometimes, have you ever quizzed kids about what they just read? Man, that's weird, isn't it? You're like, serious, you read Humpty Dumpty how what you just read green Green Eggs and Ham? How did you get that out of that? right? I mean, you know, and I'm talking about little more literary things than that, but sometimes even with little kids, it gets a little crazy. What did you just read? and what is the context of what you just read? Paul is addressing divisions in the church in Corinth, and last week. So two weeks ago, we talked about divisions in the church of Corinth. There's all these different divisions in this church. Some say they follow Paul. Some say they follow Apollo. Some say they follow Peter. Some say, well, I follow Jesus, the super spiritual ones. And then he addressed those divisions by talking about you need to focus on Christ and him crucified. That's God's wisdom. Christ and him crucified. If you all focus on Christ, if you keep the main thing the main thing, then you all won't be dividing like you are over every little thing. Today, he's still talking about divisions. He's still helping them understand how not to have divisions amongst themselves. And one of the divisions, because of the vocabulary that he's using, that is unusual to Paul's vocabulary, because if you read all of Paul's letters you would know that this is unusual vocabulary that he's using. And here he's using words. And he's using them in ways where he is defining them in his own way. So he uses this word wisdom and mature and rulers of this age. He uses mystery in the next verse. And he's talking about the wisdom of God. If you focus on the wisdom of God... There won't be divisions. The question is, how do we know the wisdom of God? And what is the wisdom of God? In fact, right off the bat, he says, we speak a message of wisdom because he's been harsh on wisdom earlier. And so some of the Corinthians, and by the way, they used to have teachers called sophists. (laughs) which is from the Greek word Sophia, which means wisdom, which we get the word sophomore. Anybody going to be a sophomore next year? Sophomore comes from the Greek word Sophia, wisdom, and more, moron, fool. (laughs) Sophomores are wise fools. That's the Greek. They're wise fools. Parents, have you ever had a sophomore in the house? Are they a wise fool? They think they know it all, right? I tell my sophomores, you need to move out while you know everything. Because at my age, you forget it. There were sophists, and they would travel around, and they would talk about wisdom. Greeks loved wisdom. And Paul, he came along last week and said, God's wisdom, Christ crucified on the cross, looks like foolishness to the wise Greeks. And it's a stumbling block to Jews. It offends everybody. Jesus and God is an equal opportunity offender. And he says, but I'm still talking about wisdom. Speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. You can read for days. Believe me, I've done it on what the phrase rulers of this age means. The Greek word is archon. It is a Greek word that always refers to a particular geography, particular place, particular geographical place. And there are some scholars who say this is referring to just human rulers, just human rulers Perhaps you gotta study the Bible and that's what it says, the human rulers that crucified Jesus. So we got Pilate, we got the the Jews, and now we got Greek rulers and Roman rulers, and we got all these rulers, and they're coming to nothing. And Paul's talking about the rulers of this age, humans. And you've got other commentators, other scholars who will say, Yeah, but every other time Paul uses the word Archon, he's talking about principalities and powers, demons, supernatural beings. And so you got some scholars say, this is about more than the human rulers. I'll give you the human rulers, they always say. These scholars, yeah, it's about human rulers, sure. But then they go a step further and they say, nah, there's also this unseen realm of rulers. I'm in the second camp. I think Paul's talking about the human rulers, but he's also expanding it, and it's a talking about the unseen realm rulers. Now, why would I say that? If you keep reading, it says... No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age, there's the phrase again, understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Do you really think if Pilate had understood that Jesus was the way to salvation for us, he would have been like, oh, I don't want that to happen. I'm not going to crucify the guy. Do you really think that the Roman rulers thought that Jesus' death is what's going to destroy evil and death, so let's not have that happen? That's giving them a lot of credit. But the entities that would think like that? Wait a minute, if we kill them, we're defeated? Yeah, let's not kill (laughs) them. Let's not do that. You see, Jesus' death on the cross, it defeated the powers of evil. It defeated Satan. It defeated the demons. It defeated all of those beings in the unseen realm that are in rebellion to God. And it began the rescue mission of freeing slaves to those entities. And had they known... Paul says they would have never killed him. Had they known, they never would have killed him. Now, how would they have known? They should have just read their Old Testament. It tells it really clearly all throughout the place. No, it doesn't. It tells it clearly after you have the New Testament, you can read it back into the Old Testament. Oh, then it's really clear. But when you don't have the New Testament, it's not very clear. It's a mosaic. It's a patchwork. It's like a quilt where you kind of get some ideas and, and some insight into somebody's going to die somebody's powerful there's this messiah i don't know who it is and satan and the demons didn't see it and god's wisdom of a crucified messiah his death and ultimately his resurrection brought about their demise their destruction their defeat That's why Easter gang is so awesome. All right, that's why I think it's talking about those bad guys. All right, so then let's keep reading. However, as it is written, (laughs) I'm running out of time. We haven't even gotten into the hard stuff. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. Do you have any footnotes that tell you where this is written in your Bible? Isaiah? Isaiah? Anybody ever bothered to flip back to Isaiah forty thirteen and read? Let me save you some time. It's not written that way in Isaiah. In fact, you can read for days, and I have. On who is Paul quoting? <laughs> Where is he quoting? And a lot of the scholars think it's Isaiah 40, verse 13. Some say it's a, a second temple book called The Ascension of Isaiah, and you can find a quote that's closer to this than the book of Isaiah, Some say that Paul is just shooting off the cuff and he's a good Hebrew scholar and he's putting together a bunch of verses and he's amalgamating them into one spot. Paraphrasing, if you will. I don't know what the answer is. Like I said, old documents are difficult to understand. But it goes on and it says, and he's using this to demonstrate something and it's more important that we understand what he's trying to do rather than where he gets it from. He says, for God has revealed them to us by his spirit. Now, this part of this passage gets just destroyed and abused by modern day interpretation. And historically, it's gotten destroyed by interpretation oftentimes this passage and the following let's just read it real quick the spirit searches all things even the deep things of god for who knows a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit within in the same way no one knows the thoughts of god except the spirit of god we have not received the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from god that we may understand what god has freely given us This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Anybody confused yet? The person without Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For, and then he quotes something, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. That's a thick, deep... I mean, we're in some deep powder. This is like on the back bowls at Vail, right? And it just freshly snowed. And we're carving a new trail in fresh powder. And we're like, what did it just say there? Paul, even Peter said, Paul is difficult to understand. And Paul was an apost- Peter was an apostle, friends with Jesus, like literally on earth while he was living. What is Paul talking about? What's going on here? This part is abused regularly in church because it looks like Paul is arguing for an anti-intellectualism here, that the way that we understand things of God is through the Spirit, And the only way you can understand things, the only way you can understand your Bible, the only way you can understand any of this stuff is if you have what some teach as the second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or you have a a second awakening, or you have some special revelation, some special knowledge. And if you have this special knowledge and this special awakening and you have this spirit, he reveals to you things in the text that others can't see and others can't find. That interpretation is directly countered. It's directly, it's just 180 degrees opposite of exactly what Paul's saying. The problem in Corinth was some of them said, I'm mature, I've got the spirit, I know things, I have mysteries and knowledge that you don't have. And there was becoming the second class, these different tiers of Christians in the Corinthian church where there were those who say, I'm spiritual, I'm mature, I'm better than you, I follow Jesus, you follow Apollos, you follow Paul, you follow Peter. There's all these divisions. And one of the divisions was, I understand stuff you don't. Nanny, nanny, boo, boo. The Spirit told me this. If you think about it, they didn't have a Bible. So how did they learn anything? How did they know anything? How did they figure stuff out? How did they... The, the Bible was written to them. This, ver, this book. It was written to address the problem of some thought they were better and smarter, spiritually speaking, than others And this is rampant in the church today. I mean, my goodness. Turn on the television, the radio, buy some of the popular level books being written today and you will see peddled left and right. If you want to have a better life, if you want to know the deep truths of God, if you want to have all these things, then you just need to have the Spirit reveal to you the things of God. Paul, in this passage, is not comparing and contrasting Christians to other Christians. He's comparing and contrasting Christians to the natural man, non-Christians. He's saying that Christians have the Spirit. Paul teaches all Christians have the Spirit. All of them. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you begin to follow Jesus Christ when you're saved, whatever the vernacular is you want to use, when you have that moment, when you pray the prayer, when you decide to follow Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, enters into you and starts to make you a new creation. It's what Paul teaches throughout his writings. It's not a second baptism. It's not a second work. There is no haves and have-nots in the Christian world. If you are following Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you to help you, to guide you, to gift you, to lead you. The problem is, if there is any division in Christians, some are better at being obedient than others. That's the difference. Some are more obedient than others. So when the Spirit says, ooh, don't do that, some of us go, I don't care. (laughs) And we do it. And others, when the Spirit says, ooh, don't do that, people go, ooh, okay, I won't do that. And as we come to know Christ better, as we read the scriptures more, as we study, as we understand more and more things, as we submit ourselves to better teaching, we become better at experiencing God's voice, understanding what he's saying, following him. Why? Because his voice is in this. And if we hear this, we hear his voice. Paul is not saying there's differences in Christians between those who have the Spirit and those who don't. He's saying there's differences between people, there's Christians who have God's Spirit, and non-Christians who don't have God's Spirit and don't understand the mysteries of God. Now, this will cook your brain real quick. And some of you look like you're already done. (laughs) And if I was listening to me, I'd probably be done too. i know non-christians scholars phd's new testament old testament who know this bible better than me they know its contents they know what happened when they they can they can sit down and give you a timeline about old testament what happened when who did what how many what the names of david's wives were <laughs> right i mean there are secular non-christian scholars who know this bible and know it well i mean really well i read what they write about it regularly why because it helps me understand it better because they took the time to do studies of it i read some people who are christians And they don't have a clue what's in this thing. They think they do, but they don't. Why? Because they haven't disciplined themselves to study it. Are any of you in a field that you can instantly tell if somebody doesn't know what they're talking about in regards to your field of work, expertise? like if I were to try to strike up a conversation with some of you in the gas and oil industry and about my knowledge about fracking, because I saw it on a television commercial, why I should vote for or against or whatever, would you instantly recognize if, whether I knew what I was talking about or not? Would you instantly be able to tell if supposed experts know what they're talking about or not? If you're in medicine, can you tell if the preacher actually knows what he's talking about when he gives examples from medicine? If you're in real estate, somebody's trying to understand a contract and explaining to you how come it fell through and what's going on, and you go, okay, it couldn't have happened that way. That's completely illegal what they're explaining to me here. That's unlikely. If you're in insurance, and somebody's trying to explain, if you're in finance, if you're in accounting, we always pick on them. If you're in accounting, and somebody comes up and tries to explain, hey, I I found this internet website that says I don't have to pay taxes ever again. Here's the five steps I need to take to make this happen. Would you help me make this happen? Can you instantly tell, this person needs to stay off that website? (laughs) Did you know? It works that way with people who have studied the Scripture? Did you know it works that way with people who have diligently worked hard to study this, who have who've learned the languages and learned the culture and, and studied these things that I can listen to experts and non-experts and I can quickly go, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Now, am I saying that because I'm better than them and I'm smarter and I'm no, I'm just telling you, there are people who are, who are really influential in the church today. Who have big ministries and big churches and big books and lots of money. And they're wrong about a lot of this. I don't think it's intentional. I just think they just don't know. Like if I'm talking gas and oil or real estate or insurance or accounting, it's not because I'm trying to intentionally deceive you. It's because I just don't know. I haven't worked hard in that field. I haven't studied that field. Many of those fields, I don't care. I just want to go to the thermostat and turn it up. And magically, my home is heated, right? Is that what you want? I don't want to know how it gets there. Kind of interesting. Don't care until it doesn't work. Then I really care. Right? Do you know that's how most folks, people's relationship is with the scriptures? Don't care until it doesn't work. Then I really care. There is no divisions in the church, and don't allow teachers to teach you that there are those Christians who know and those who don't, those Christians that have and those that don't. That's not biblical. There is not supposed to be divisions in the church. The only division, and we're going to see that as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, the only division Amongst those in the church. And Paul says they're in the church. Paul says they know Jesus. Paul says they're trying to follow him. But some of them are really disobedient. One guy's sleeping with his stepmother. Disobedient. (laughs) And Paul gets after him. And even says, kick him out the church. Until he changes his ways, kick him out of the church. It's called church discipline. Nobody likes to talk about that anymore kick him out of the church. but he's not saying kick him out because he's not a Christian. he's saying kick him out of the church because if he says he's a Christian but he's not walking like one, he's disobedient. And don't allow him to continue in that behavior. Paul has hard words for the divisions but they're in regards to who's obedient and who's not obedient to Christ. The next few weeks are going to be fun. The next few weeks are going to... It's going to be hard for some of you. If you have steel-toed you know, flip-flops, wear those. Sandals, invent some. Maybe you can make a big seller of those. Because there is some hard words from Paul in this book. And we've already run into some. I've been preaching about these divisions, not because we are a divided group, but because we could be. And it's so easy for divisions to creep into a church. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for Christ. Help us to focus on him, the author, perfecter of our faith, the chief cornerstone. Help us to make Christ the main thing. And Lord, with all these other things that we can get tripped up on and all these emphases that we can have, the church history teaches us that when we empathize, emphasize something, it often becomes a heresy. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us any pet teacher, any favorite author, any favorite thing that we're following, even if, even if they are a good teacher, that we would look at them closely, what they're saying. And you would help us to listen to the right voices, namely yours. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you experience true freedom in Christ this 4th of July. Amen.